The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhez Omapete on SAFM. There is Mango's negotiation with SAA Technical to not get grounded. Government's latest attempt to bail out SAA and SAA Express crowdfunding a quarter of a billion rand for a stake in the company. The question is, why is the state-owned entity not leveling up and taking to the sky after a protracted period on the ground to sort out these in-house issues, made worse by the fact that, or made more, not necessarily worse, by the fact that for the best part of this year, that has been the time to do it. There have been no flights. Or has it been the very hamstringing part of it, the fact that there hasn't been a revenue stream? Your thoughts? Oh, eight. Sorry, not 0891, because we have a new line that we have to use just for tonight until further notice, please. 011-714-2006. Johannesburg, 714-2006. That's the number to dial, not the usual 089 number. That line is down for this evening. In any event, Professor Patrick Bond, political economist, University of the Western Cape, is on the line to have a conversation with South Africans because a lot of South Africans' monies, hard-earned monies, have been bailing out the carriers one after the other. Surely something has to give. The question is, what is it? Good evening, Patrick Bond. Thanks for your time. It's great to be with you, Sangez, and all your excellent listeners and commentators. Let me ask this question. It's going to be open-ended. Give us a sense of the aviation industry in South Africa. Why do we have nation? Why do we have carriers in the trouble that they are? SAA, SAA Technical, SAA Express, how does AirLink and all of this feature? The fact that Comair is in trouble, the fact that we no longer have a nationwide, we no longer have a one-time. What's going on in the aviation industry that the ordinary South African wouldn't quite easily pick up? But now that you're going to be telling us, we can start piecing together some of the puzzle pieces. You know, it's uh, a a different story for each of the airlines, but I think we have a common problem, which is uh, mismanagement and corruption in not simply the uh, parastatal corporations, SAA, obviously, but in corporate South Africa. And that would even include the the, uh, state-owned enterprise, SAA, uh, unfairly engaged in predatory activity that shut down, uh, for example, nationwide and that... uh, uh, help pressure out one time, and that in turn um, led to a massive uh, finding uh, in the Competition Commission that they owe Comair mm-hmm. uh, over a billion rand, and they can't pay it because they're you know, more or less uh, bankrupt now. And now that Comair, during lockdown, had to go into a business rescue, uh, we've really only got, and, and Mango's a bit shaky because it's last week had some problems with uh, SAA technical services, and now SAA uh, bailout has been. It looks like uh, shelved because the commercial financiers aren't, aren't there. We've really only got one smallish company that's now dominating the market, uh, Safa. And there are a couple of others. I was actually just looking at the, the Cape Town, uh, Joburg uh, route, the most uh, profitable and popular. And um, it looks like flying on a typical day would be one or two flights from, uh, let's see, we've got uh, uh, Slice up there, about seven flights, Airlink, a couple, Mango and Center, uh, I think, is the other. So we've, we've got a, a much uh, reduced uh, set of options for consumers. But let's, let's then ask um, maybe this whole exercise of locking down, of uh, being close to home, 
maybe the uh, crash of both domestic and international tourism, and maybe the climate crisis should all come together to do as uh, President Obama of has asked, which is rethink what we're doing in this economy, build back better, and do so with much more sensitivity to uh, the characteristics of a new world economy that's very, very hostile to the South Africa way down at the end of the continent. I'm going to engage that part a little later in this conversation, the new world economy and the restructuring, not just of the aviation industry, but the industries that support aviation. And if you like the value chain of the aviation industry in terms of the necessary reforms in line with what you call the new economic order, new world order as it pertains to aviation. But here's something I want to probe nationwide one time comment and yeah, nationwide comment, all of those private ones have one thing in common. They don't have the shareholder that is government of South Africa. SAA and all its subsidiaries do. How then still could SAA, SAA Technical, SAA Express, Mango find themselves in this rot that they are in, notwithstanding the fact that they have been backed over the years, decades, by billions and billions of rands? They have never been before grounded. Well, it's uh, a function of the mismanagement, which personally I would, uh, without really being an insider, but I would uh, put down to the uh, change in its uh, approach when uh, a U.S. management consultant uh, came in named Coleman Andrews. And as your listeners who are a bit older may recall, he left with the golden parachute of over 220 million, a huge amount in the late 1990s. And one after the other, you got uh, CEOs, you got managers, well, one or two exceptions, but they really didn't uh, react well to either the political pressures, probably the worst era when uh, Dudu Mieng was the chair, and uh, one after the other, the uh, CEOs just couldn't relate to the kind of orders and uh, systematic corruption, it appears, that was coming down through the Zipta era. Uh, but if you look much more generally at the question, should a country like South Africa, which when uh, in the 1990s, uh, a democratic South Africa inherited a profitable SAA that was, you know, year after year, the most uh, you know, high-rated high and effective airline on the African continent. But the big question, like we have on every aspect uh, of our existence, is was it tenable to have a huge amount of our air transport locked up for a small elite uh, set of travelers who you could tell them by the color of their skin? Now, it changed, obviously, so it wasn't just 5 million whites who were getting this kind of world-class airline and flying all over the world. And, of course, the other mm-hmm. big uh, opening for South Africa after 1994 was to have our Airport as the international hub for the continent. So there would be flights all the way down to South Africa and then up from South Africa to Nairobi and you know, Kampala and all over the show. And that has uh, subsequently changed. So we saw from roughly the mid-2000s to 2010 the rise of these other hubs for so the old hub and spoke model that made Oatambo and SAA so uh, privileged began to shift. And the big hubs, of course, were in uh, the Middle East and the United uh, Emirates and Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Qatar and then in Ethiopia and then in Istanbul. So these were the, the new hubs where it's much easier and cheaper in terms of the, the uh, um, uh, petroleum that you use, in terms of the time in the air to use different hubs than flying all the way down to South Africa. So the big profits that they could make from international flights then began to 
to wither away. Those are some of the big objective conditions. I'm not sure any genius could have really run an NSA profitably under those shifting conditions. Of course, the other thing, the rand was crashing. Uh, the price of fuel was going up in, in uh, local currency terms. Uh, South Africa is a long distance from uh, these other sites where the international tourism competition is intense. So notwithstanding the big buzz that we got first from uh, democracy and then a little bit in the 2010 World Cup, it just wasn't tenable to base a strategy on uh, these extremely vulnerable um, approaches to international tourism and international travel and travel, uh, making South Africa the hub for the continent. Mr. Patrick Bond, he's a political economist at the University of the Western Cape, giving us, if you like, a very, very soft landing with a finger on the pulse that is the chaos surrounding the aviation industry in South Africa. We're, of course, going to have to focus on SAA for obvious reasons. It is the public entity. That's where your monies go, even though we can obviously make passing remarks in relation to now defunct airlines nationwide one time precariously positioned is Comair, and of course flying high and taking away as if there are no such problems for them, fly safe. Your thoughts, comments and calls, most welcome. Please do give us a call on 011-714-2006. The usual line is down. I repeat, Johannesburg, 714-2006. Your thoughts and comments, most welcome after the break. It's 20 past. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. We are in conversation with Ms. Professor Patrick Bond, political economist, University of the Western Cape. The chaos surrounding the aviation industry in South Africa with a strong focus on SAA. Listen to this. Coleman Andrews, Kaya Nula, Chris Smith, Sisa Mzimela. Zimela resigns after dispute of the government, blah, blah, blah. Vuisele Kona. Some more names. Then we have Aniko Besedenhout. More about him a little bit later. Monwabisi Kalawe. Kalawe resigns. Then we are talking about Musi Zwane. Before that, Tuli Mshe. Look, the list is endless. Vuyani Jahana, he resigns, a former Vodacom person. How many CEOs in 10 years have I written out here? Seven, eight. That's one CEO for every year and a bit. That clearly isn't sustainable. The question has got to be, how has government missed this? Why has government not been able to step in and at least do the most correct thing in relation to corporate governance? Stability following of the King 4 in terms of corporate governance and making sure shareholder value is at least returned one is to one, not necessarily making a profit, but can we at least protect the investment? Why has it happened this way? Good evening, Patrick. Thanks for still being on the line. So in case you're asking all the right questions, you know, that long list, I've only met one of those. I'll tell you his name, Fuyami and he was an extremely impressive man when he discussed with myself, I mean, I know he discussed with the trade unions, how he wanted to do a turnaround, and he was simply opposed, in this case, by the uh, public enterprise minister, um, who was uh, Pravin Gordon. Now, I don't know all the details, but he certainly was, I think, the only of those CEOs who'd won the hearts and minds 
as his workers, but especially the two big unions that would uh, you know, have the most workers and go on strike and threaten the airline, as we saw you know, last November. Um, and that would be the metal workers, the biggest union in the country, 350,000 or so before COVID, and then the um, Air Stewards Association. Those two unions, I think, are working quite closely together to try to figure out whether there's anything that can be done to save it. And there's even some talk in one or two of the cases of an employee buyout, I think, of Airlink. But let's just say the critical thing, because so many thousands of jobs are lost on the front line, it looks like, in SAA, but also, as you say, all the way down the value chain and up again. I mean, this is the backward-forward linkage. It's the whole concept of OR Tambo and the uh, Durban Airport, King Shock International, what's called an aerotropolis, that once you can build a whole city around an airport, or in the case of OR Tambo, Ekurulaini, and all of the Kempton Park, all of that activity comes around it. In the case of Durban, the aerotropolis idea is that on the north side of the city, there's going to be a lot more activity with uh, Dubai. Uh, trade port and with Simpolito and and then uh, going down to Mshlanka, all of that activity shifts the center of gravity of the city up north. That seems now to be threatened. So we put ourselves in a terribly vulnerable uh, perspective of, of relying on uh, local and international air travel. And the lockdown was such a wake-up call when virtually no flights were going, just some repatriation flights internationally. And then after June, things start up at a much, much, much lower level than uh, in March. Let's continue the conversation for those of you who wish to participate. We are talking about aviation. We are talking specifically about SAN. And my guest this evening is Professor Patrick Bond, political economist, University of the Western Cape. Please dial 011714. 2006. That is Johannesburg 714-2006. Chapter 2, our loyal listener participating, saying good evening to you and your guest. It's a sad reality to see our airlines in continuous difficulties. Bailouts upon bailouts and no success at all. And those responsible are not held accountable. What will the way forward be to resolve this unfortunate crisis? It's not fair to the taxpayer. And where will government find the monies? And what's the total amount required? Thank you from Chapter 2. I'm going to try and ask some of the questions you ask in two words, chapter two. Coleman Andrews. Coleman Andrews, a former CEO and president of SA Airways, was paid out as much as 200 million tax-free during his two and a half year tenure at the airline. We're talking about 1998 now and halfway into 2000. One of the biggest heists, if that word is even appropriate, in South African business history. And he did something which nobody would have foreseen. He was given a mandate, make the airline profitable. At the time, SAA owned her fleet. Coleman Andrews does what? He sells the fleet. He gets a windfall because that is seen as profit. And what was theirs, they now lease. Of course, in the books, it reads well because they now suddenly are not as exposed. But in reality, one might say that's when the decline started. Would you argue differently? To me, that's a good way to put it, because um, a lot of uh, new managerial strategies were brought in during the 1990s as, as the liberalization of this economy proceeded. And U.S. managerialism, uh, you know, the McKinsey's, these guys who have these very shady and, and you know, fast and dirty, uh, very low ethics kinds of ways of doing business. There's a phrase for it just in time, which is to, as you say, you know, strip your assets, uh, lease them back keep your balance sheet in this kind of, you know, smoke and mirrors manner. And then when the pressure got too strong, he, as you said, he kind of left with this 220 million rand 
payout, a massive golden parachute, which I think set absolutely the wrong tone. Instead of public servants trying to change an airline to make it more democratic, uh, more, uh, you know, capable of reaching the smaller little dorpies, uh, which is what you'd want uh, a regulated mm. airline to do, to, to be a public service, a utility, because that's what, you know, that's what a public uh, institution is really all about, serving people who are so far away that the long, uh, you know, road trips just don't make sense. And to, to connect the country, to connect South Africa to the continent, that just wasn't done in the spirit of Ubuntu and the new South Africa was done in the spirit of the U.S. style, uh, you know, quarterly profit uh, statement is the, the main incentive. You put it very well. Let's talk about the legacies then. I'm going to move away from the CEOs because, well, a lot of them have been well documented. And I'm going to return to the Vuyani Jahana question that you had mentioned. By all accounts, indeed, he came with the skill, he came with the backing, and he had presented a turnaround strategy that for those who know the aviation industry would have sponsored. But it came unstuck with Minister then at the time of Public Enterprises, Pravin Gordon. Can we say anything about Pravin Gordon, Malusi Gigaba, and Lynn Brown? Because these three ministers between them, I think they have played the musical seats in relation to the continued descent with very little prospect of takeoff of the state-owned enterprises. First up, Pravin Gordon, then Malusi Gigaba, and then Lynn Brown. What can you say about these individuals who have been, if you like, the real representative of these public interest at these carriers. And let's even put before that Alec Irwin, who uh, before uh, Correct. Alec was, Irwin. was kicked out, was public enterprises minister. And, you know, uh, they're very, very different because uh, uh, Pravin Gordon has an image of uh, high moral uh, standing. There are questions about his finance ministry position in which, for example, Madupi was funded through a World Bank loan, even though Hitachi had bribed his party. The, the, the Chancellor House uh, deal that uh, meant, uh, you know, we're paying a, a massive uh, cost for that into the far into the future, one especially that's associated with the climate uh, crisis that comes from these coal-fired power plants. So let's say that there's already a, a mark on his record, but I don't know an inside story. What I do know is that uh, for Jahana, it was in a moment where he was negotiating with especially Emirates, and there was also talk of Ethiopian Air as a, an equity partner, as a partner to bring in you know, shared uh, flights and to share the African airspace more. Uh, let's say, uh, rationally, uh, again, given this terrible distance uh, factor that uh, makes the South African location in uh, the continent and the world so unfortunate. And I think it's at that level. Um, we we should look at, you know, it depends whether uh, uh, Pervin Gordon has a reputation for being a control freak. Alec Irwin certainly did. And they wanted the national airline to have, I think, the standing and the sovereignty and the power um, and then I would contrast that very much with Gigaba and Brown as ministers because they have terrible reputations that they're going to have to work very hard in the Zonda Commission, possibly future prosecution, to try to revive given their links to the Guptas. Uh, enough said on that front because we don't yet have sufficient details to know all the backroom deals, but mm. certainly when Gigaba worked with Transnet uh, and ESCOM uh, and as a finance minister, there were some very good questions raised about his conduct. You're doing well to sanitize this image of Pravin Gordon in relation to some of these things that you have said that I really do want to probe. And I'm not going to necessarily ask you to say something you don't feel comfortable saying or that you don't have the necessary facts to back up. But 
we, we, we can't obviously be represented by Control Freak who doesn't look at business and make sense of business. What would have been objectionable with, as you say, Jahana's proposal that we should probably be curtsying to Emirates? They are the biggest airline carrier, the most recognizable brand in the skies right now. They control the biggest hub of domestic and international travel in the world. When you talk about Emirates, Emirates you are talking about the beacon of air travel. Now, what would be so objectionable in trying to cozy up to those guys, have the kinds of relationships and the rapports that can only lift, literally and figuratively, the image of SAA to be of not necessarily comparable quality, of course, that is the end goal, surely, but when you look at corporate governance and the fact that the appeal of this airline, as old as it is, in excess of 80 years, we're talking about SAA, yeah? why would anybody get in the way of that? Well, I would say, um, without having all the back, background information, that the question of whether a national carrier gives you more than just um, the pride, right? The, every African country wants its own national airline, and often that'll have to be a state-owned airline because there's no private sector uh, player that's willing in some of the poorer countries in Africa to put out uh, the capital, take the risks, take the losses. So let's say that there is a a conceptual interest in having a national airline, but not simply in a country as large as this with these roughly 9 million passengers a year that were uh, at SAA's peak coming through, uh, whether domestic or foreign, but actually to then start thinking, well, what do you need from an airline? Well, obviously tourism. That becomes the justification for taking a hit, a lost leader on a national airline because you're going to get more benefits if you bring more people, even if there's a bit of a cost subsidy involved bring rich tourists and they're spending 25,000 rand per visit, well, you might take a small hit of a 1,000 rand per ticket, which is roughly what uh, anyone traveling on SA was effectively getting as a gift from the taxpayer. Because the answer is, well, those 25,000 rand then uh, multiply through the economy, through the tourist sector. That's been the logic. I think that was the logic that uh, justified, if I was a public enterprise uh, ministerial advisor, would justify a bigger picture of let's call it a a sort of full-cost accounting. Now, what they didn't do was to look at the environment because uh, we are looking at 5 to 8% of world uh, carbon emissions coming from airlines. South Africa has been hit hard. Uh, Where I'm right now in Cape Town, a drought that uh, took us near to day zero, PE at day zero. Uh, Durban suffered two rain bombs in the last four years uh, that uh, killed dozens. We had Cyclone Day in and uh, Kenneth, uh, up the coast, it killed more than a 1,000. And I'd like to put that into the equation, if it's okay, Sonia, because, you know, air travel really has to be rethought now. And the kinds of things where I'm describing a public interest or a sort of merit goods is the technical term for what you get when you take a loss on a public institution that you might get a profit. Like, you know, if you put in electricity or water to a poor person's house, well, you're going to get a lower public health cost when uh, disease burdens, uh, waterborne diseases or, uh, you know, the cooking that you use uh, paraffin or coal or wood for, now you use cleaner electricity, so you have fewer uh, particulates in the air and therefore fewer uh, airborne, uh, you know, diseases. We're all very conscious of that with COVID-19. And that's, you see the logic there that we want to do Mm. something with a national carrier that captures the public merit goods and therefore drives back into the economy, into the society, hopefully into the environment, a much better set of relationships than if it were just a private sector operator 
simply looking for the 30% rates of return. Absolutely, and we're going to return to that new economic order or the new world order as it pertains to aviation because it is something that is very interested, interesting, rather, and it could really then be the template for the total reimagination of the national carrier, not just for aviation purposes, but for some of the issues that touch on aviation, if you like, the value chain of aviation. But before we do do that, let's take a couple of voice notes that have come through in the conversation thus far. For those who wish to participate, all in the five sorry, in the 15 minutes that remain, Professor Patrick Bond, political economist at the University of the Western Cape, is in conversation with us, talking about the chaos surrounding the aviation industry and what could and should possibly be seen as the way to move forward. Before that conversation continues in relation to the new economic world order, a couple of voice notes. Let SAA go down. We don't need it. We don't need SAA. It's 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 drowning our monies. We don't need it. Let it go. Let it die. It's going to long. Evening song is a muppet. I hear you're talking airlines. SAA is part of the SOEs. You know what? There's one part that everybody's not focusing on. On is the unions. The unions in this country are toxic. Everywhere these unions are. You know, because now they are just wolves in a sheepskin. When their own objectives are not met, they'll cause havoc. I mean, follow from when 1994, whoever took over SAA and that union, which is there. Because you can be appointed as an executive. You can formulate a strategy, but who has to execute it is the same members. Because now there has been a culture in this country whereby people are just putting a bare minimum five percent because when you are trying to enforce the company policies the code of conduct the code of ethics then you are deemed that you are abusing the employees and then you do me any also because those union unions they make sure that she stays there on the post interesting conversations how do you wish to respond to the listeners on those two voice notes patrick i love those um honest and cynical and frank comments because we have to address them i think the first was the um, anger from a place like Katlehong, uh, a low-income uh, township in, in uh, uh, Lane. It's a very, very tough place. And when we've just seen the new statistics, that roughly 5 million people uh, between formal job holders and those who just left the labor force that came from this uh, quite uh, badly marketed status A report yesterday, you probably would have seen. But if you see those 5 million additional people who have really suffered the loss of employment, formal income have just moved into the terrain of hopelessness. It's obscene to think that SA is looking for 24 billion rand and getting it probably this year, 14 billion to pay off past creditors, another 10 billion to get restarted. Now, they need more credit and they're apparently not able to get it. So all of those plans seem to be, as of yesterday, on ice. But I can just sympathize with the Catalan uh, because I'm one of the beneficiaries. I've probably, uh, you know, with, with uh, 12 or so years of achieving platinum status, I'm one of the most pampered um, and unfairly subsidized people in the country because uh, I was an SAA, uh, you know, frequent flyer. Um, so let's look ourselves in the mirror and say, this is awful. And I think the second caller wants the unions to do so. But let me fight back there. I work a lot as a volunteer with trade unions, and I know the metal workers, the main union in this. And I think what they've called for for more than a dozen years is a just transition that would be climate conscious. And that's obviously for their 
coal-fired power plants, whether the main union and ESCOM, or the coal mines, or the uh, high capital-intensive, carbon-intensive smelters and you know auto plants, all the things that are very vulnerable to change as we go into uh, hopefully a decarbonized world. So the answer for a trade union to that critique, you know, the critique that a lot of people share that unions have gotten too powerful, is actually they've been weakened and they need a just transition. And if they had more power, they would have actually fought harder to get this government uh, to turn away from the high carbon intensive kind of policies projects, including subsidizing airlines, subsidizing people like me. So I think that's a great discussion. I wish you could bring in a trade unionist like Urban Jim from NIMSA and others who could make the case. I mean, as well as Dima Vavi, the leader of uh, South African Federation of Trade Union, continually talks about the climate crisis as one of the manifestations of capitalism against workers, poor people, women, and the environment, and especially the next generations, the youth. So I think there's a consciousness and a demand for a just transition that I hope begins to get into the society as we think about a post-COVID restart. I would be interested in a union conversation, but right now I can only sympathize with the unions because their members for the longest time have had this uncertainty. Certainly this year with the grounding of the airlines and the fact that at the time of the grounding anyway, things were already precarious. Some five months, six months, even longer without getting pay and they are being given the proper runaround. And then you get guys like Nico Besedenot who not once but twice landed up as CEO of an airline without their requisite qualifications. This despite, of course, being brought to the attention of Minister Pravin Gordon. He seems to have a checkered past, this Mr. Pravin Gordon, in relation to some of these things which are now, as it were, the chickens coming home to roost on. The conversation continues, of course, after the break. Professor Patrick Bond, political economist, University of the Western Cape. Aviation industry, the troubles, the perils, the toils, the tears that are bound to happen if what we know now is anything to go by. The final seven minutes or so after the break. SAFM leading the conversation. Nothing conventional on the viewpoint. on SAFM. We're back online and Vincent from Cape Town wants to contribute. Go right ahead, please, Vincent. Good evening. Thanks for calling. Hello. Indeed. Your contribution, please, Vincent. Hello, can you hear me? Vincent, please talk. Okay, good evening, Songhez, and your guest. I just want a minute to contribute regarding South African Airways. Uh, This is is in connection to Amini. What is happening there is that, Amini, there are people who they do not have merits because we cannot appoint people due to the comradeship. Because I remember, as a young man, the first flight I took going overseas, it was Ethiopia Airways. And up to now, Ethiopia Airways still remain the best flight in Africa continent. And the next thing, I fail to understand why South African Airways, they do not make money, whereas their charges of fare is very high. Because compared to South African Airways, Kenya Airways, once I took flight, I was booking from South Africa to Kenya. It was costing two people nearly 28000 Same Ethiopian Airways, I took two people. It was 12400 That is return. So, but today you are being told South African Airways, they do not have money. But their charges 
of fear is too high. So it's about people are not competent. It's open airways, what they have done. The company, it belongs to the government airline, but they appoint a private company to manage the operation of the airline. So I think it's a high time for if South African Airways, it must make, I mean, it must be successful in the operation. They should appoint people who are competent and people they are there with merit. Thank you, Songezo. Thank you so much, Vincent, for calling us in Cape Town. And I think it really is that simple. When you compare Ethiopian Air, Kenyan Airways, the new kid on the block, same can be said for Rwanda Air. These are airlines that have got not just continental appeal and respect, but international appeal and respect. What was once the exclusive province domain and territory of SAA, and it can pretty much boil down to the politics at play in the host country. Final thoughts on that, because I want to move on to the new world order you referred to. Your final thoughts on that, Patrick? Yes, I think that's one of the great questions we should be asking. Um, this is the most distorted economy in the world, the most unequal, right, uh, where we've got uh, what's called a Gini coefficient that's unprecedented when you look at what's called the market income before their state transfers. It's 0.78, where one is one person in the room has everything, zero is uh, mm -hmm. all shared equally. So we're incredibly unequal. Joburg is the most unequal city in the world, Cape Town the fifth most. And I think many of our dilemmas come from failing to grapple with it and going with uh, neo-apartheid or class-apartheid um, uh, economic policies and subsidies that help those who've traditionally benefited. That's not just people like myself with white skin in the you know, flying spaces. It's the, the huge subsidies that go into infrastructure, uh, transport infrastructure like the airports, but uh, all the infrastructure that helps the traditional uh, elites. And now they've got a small uh, smattering of black economic empowerment partners, but it is really such a poisonous set of relationships that persist and persist and give us uh, all of these extreme social depravities and, yeah, let's be frank, economic and ecological untenability. Yeah, the more you say these things, especially the last couple of sentiments that you expressed, and, and, and I hate to say this, and perhaps South Africans can chastise me for it, but this is my view. All the failings of this democratic dispensation, a lot of which we have touched on without necessarily getting deeply into, are a legitimization of what apartheid did. Hear me yes, out well. All the wrongs that are taking place now that shouldn't be taking place the way they certainly are, are an inadvertent and complete legitimization of apartheid. And that is not to say apartheid wasn't what it was. It was a corrupt, illegitimate regime ran by minorities and it was an international crime against humanity. But on the evidence of what we are seeing now, some people can legitimately say and do I wish the days were different. And when that statement is said, it can only be a reference to the past. Enough about that, unless you want to say something, Patrick. Well, yeah, I used to live in Zimbabwe, and it was just appalling to me that people would say in the late 1980s, it was better under Smith, right? That was an appalling sense that, oh, come on, come on, let's put into context. We want democracy. There's one person, one vote, no racist laws. It's a much better place to live. But what you're saying is that the structures, the migrant labor systems, the extractive systems, the minerals, uh, the financialization bubbles, the uh, extraordinary segregatory systems on a class basis, right, that all got worse. Unemployment is much worse, not just 
you know, after COVID, but uh, certainly uh, in 97, 98, it really took off from 15% up to about 23%. Then we've got massive inequality increasing, the top 1% everywhere in the world, but South Africa more than anywhere takes the vast share of the gains of, of post-apartheid economic liberalization, and poverty actually gets worse. The stats to say doesn't calculate it prof- properly, but it University of Cape Town, they have a team called uh, uh, the uh, South African Labor Development Research Unit that says our poverty rate, 50 rand a day and below, is um, 65%. Now, that's much worse than apartheid. So, yeah, the neo-apartheid, the class apartheid, where you mm-hmm. sprinkle a few elites, let's put President Ramaphosa right up at the top as, a, as an exemplar, right? Uh, somebody who's, you know, multi-billionaire but hasn't changed and won't change economic structures. And it's tragic because I don't know if you've heard him, Sangeet, he's actually uh, got all the right rhetoric. I- I'll just quote you if, if you allow me. Uh, he met with the editor in the country, 30 seconds. Yeah, which is uh, Feriel Hafeji reported on it in Daily Mabit, quote, we're resolved to forge a new economy in a new global reality. And he called for more localization, economic patriotism, strengthened informal structure, uh, sector, in- infrastructure and maintenance a more and bigger public works, a reset of the economy for inclusive growth, an economy that responds to poverty. Um, and that, that's the rhetoric I love to hear because it's what I think all of us wanted democracy to provide, a much more humane place, an ecologically sensitive place, uh, a deracialized place, but one that also didn't extreme, so, it caused these extreme class and gender and, uh, and other tensions. Let's leave it there. Patrick, thank you so much. Your thoughts are always thought-provoking, not just on this platform, but in other media spaces that you occupy. I thoroughly have enjoyed the 49 or so minutes that we have had you. Unfortunately, now time is the enemy, so I'm going to have to let you go. The chaos surrounding the aviation industry in South Africa, it was a conversation with Professor Patrick Bond, political economist, University of the Western Cape. After the break, we talked to Mandla Lamba.